All right. Hello again. Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. How's life? I'm a little bit late tonight. I had a Christmas family Christmas party, so thanks for bearing with me. That's great. That's exciting. It's uh, tis the season. Nothing tis more the fun season than than, uh, than family Christmas parties. Yeah. So, Corey, Governor Cox released his first budget as Utah Governor this week. Uh, what caught your eye? Well, a few things did. His uh, his $160 million refundable grocery tax credit. This is interesting. I mean, it, they, they are trying to target uh, lower income folks, the folks, people who, who would need it most. And I do think that's cool. I, I am interested to see how a refundable tax credit actually is going to work, whether it actually is going to, it's going to be workable to be, to be the most usable. But, but I do think that's a, a good, a good use of tax cut. Uh, 51 million in his budget to preserve the Great Salt Lake. Hundred million for affordable housing. I want to talk about this probably in a few minutes, but um, I do think uh, private activity bonds is a good way to go. Hundred and fifteen million for technical college expansion. I think that's great. Uh, that's definitely the direction we need to go, particularly with two point two percent unemployment rate, which is below theoretical uh, full employment. It's pr- pretty amazing what we have going on in Utah. We need we have so many job openings, particularly with. Uh, Tech and and Northrop Grumman uh, in Ogden, uh, tons of engineering jobs, lots of jobs openings. We just need people who can fill those. And it's interesting, I think, for people to to see that we have almost uh, two and a half billion dollars in federal relief still left over, nine hundred thirty five million from the CARES Act that was the bipartisan bill, and and one and a half billion from the Democrat bill, American Recovery Plan from earlier this year. And uh, about 950 million of it still unappropriated. Governor Cox is saying let's uh, let's spend 400 million of it to respond to the drought situation for water conservation, protecting the Great Salt Lake. I actually think that's a great idea, great use of uh, one-time funds. I'll be interested to hear what you think, Todd. And 115 million infusion for rural broadband. So I think these are good uses of those money, uh, those dollars, those one-time dollars, and. And then, of course, $4 billion for the, from the infrastructure bill, about uh, two-thirds of that we were probably going to get no matter what, but because of this uh, kind of expanded bill, we get a little extra more. Of course, $4 billion uh, from a, a bill that's $1.2 trillion is is not too much, but it's quite a bit for Utah, though. It is. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I agree with everything you said. Um, I'm, um, I think the legislature will, will probably go along with pretty much all of the priorities that you just outlined. And um, remember on that CARES Act, we only got half the money up front. So the other half is coming mm. uh, next May. And so we, we couldn't spend that because we don't have it. Like the federal government, we don't spend money that we don't have in Utah. Right. Uh, our state constitution prohibits that. But, you know, even though Governor Cox has been governor since January, the, the budget um, that was proposed last year was Governor Herbert's budget, uh, because that, ha- that usually happens in December. And um, it's interesting one one year uh, when I was a new legislator, I got an email from a constituent and said, do your job and pass the governor's budget. And I just like people to know um, it is actually the legislature's job to come up with its own budget. So yeah. the governor's job, um, and, and this is only because a prior governor begged the legislature to do this. We passed a statute that requi- requires the governor to propose a budget, but the constitution gives all of the purse strings to the, st- uh, to the state legislature. But with that said, I mean, 97% of any governor's budget is just continuing what we did last year. So it's really the 3%. Yeah. 
you know, that we're kind of uh, dickering over. But um, Governor Cox and his Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson are both former legislators themselves, and they've been incredibly collaborative um, during their short administration with the legislative leadership. So I don't think you're going to see a huge drawn out battle over, you know, over any of the budget items. And for my, this will be my 11th session. And this is the first time that the Great Salt Lake has really been on the agenda. We've, we've had water issues on the agenda before, um, but not, you know, not tens of millions of dollars to try to preserve the Great Salt Lake. And, and it's needed. I mean, the, the, the Great Salt Lake is vital um, in, in so many respects, including uh, Lake Effect Snow, which we, we got a little dabble of right. two or three days ago. So what do you think uh, in terms of other legislative prior, legislature's priorities? I mean, do you think... But what do you think they're going to have in mind? I mean, there is going to be extra money, $161 million of extra. So what do you, what do you think is going to happen? So we're really good at, um, you know, when we have a lot of money, um, we're really good at kind of uh, scurrying away. So, so I don't think we'll spend it all this year. And, you know, we have a $23 billion budget and we, we shoot kind of low on purpose mm-hmm. because we can't print our own money. You know, there's not a Utah dollar that we can just turn on the press and print on. So, um, you know, we, we, we want to, we want to spend less than we have and not spend more than we have, but we, we have some amazingly smart people that work for the legislature that help us with our projections and people kind of forget Corey, when we pass a budget in March, we're basically guessing what you're going to spend, what your family is going to spend at RC Willie and Larry H. Miller 16 months ahead. Yeah. And, right. and, and that's how we're projecting. And by the way, you mentioned sales tax, um, I've, I know that there's some, um, I'm just going to be some liberal voices out there saying it's time for the legislature to repeal the sales tax on food. Um, a, it's not going to happen this year. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, uh, because, um, while the state could easily get by this year and probably next year without sales tax, our cities and counties couldn't, and they can't survive without it. They'd have to raise your property mm-hmm. taxes or something else. You know, we targeted this, um, in the sales tax proposal, Two, two of the things that got repealed because of the potential referendum was we, we had about a $200 million state income tax uh, cut, and we had a, um, a, a state earned income tax credit and a sales tax rebate for the poor on, on, on food. So those are ideas that we'd already voted on and passed the legislature, but kind of, you know, the baby went out with the bathwater on that potential referendum. And so I think we're kind of going back to the old playbook from two years ago, and those are things that excuse me, legislative leadership already wanted to do. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, a refundable tax credit for, for people with uh, lower incomes, although it, it does, it would apply to larger families at higher incomes for sure. But I think it, trying to be targeted like that makes a lot of sense. The only question I have is for those people who are in the most need, are they actually filling out their tax? You know, I, I think some of the trouble is going to be um, making sure that they, they get that money, you know, yeah, but uh, another element that I want to talk about is the uh, he he sets aside a hundred million dollars in the Utah budget for uh, for affordable housing. That's uh, private activity bonds. That's essentially given a tax credit for for um, private investors to to build low income housing. I think that I think that's a smart way to go. But some he's also using one hundred twenty eight million of the stimulus money for what they what they're terming deeply affordable housing, which is 10 housing projects. And I am, I, I get pretty concerned when I hear about housing projects, because I mean, projects uh, 
throughout the history of America. I mean, it concentrates the effects of poverty. I, I wonder, is the state really prepared for long-term investment in, a, in, in these? I mean, are yeah, there better ways? I, I mean, housing vouchers, not, rental I'm assistance? I'm not sure where that, that the legislature is going to go for that. And let me just remind our listeners, um, um, housing developers are, as a group are not underrepresented in the legislature. <laughs> right. And uh, so, you know, and, and, and Governor Cox is not a, a developer himself, but uh, he does know a lot about rural internet and telecoms because that's his family business. But I, I think the hundred million dollars um, could get scaled back. We've actually been investing in incentives for affordable housing now for the last three three sessions. Yeah, yeah. And so I think a hundred million dollars sounds high to me. I'm sure that we'll make a substantial investment, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if that's you know if the investment we end up making is maybe half of that amount or or less. Yeah, and, I mean, and that makes sense, but. I mean, there are other things to look at. Obviously, many cities are looking at accessory dwelling units, which is essentially renting out your basement. And I know that there's some pushback. Or, or a mother-in-law apartment in the backyard. Mother-in-law apartment, yeah. yeah. Um, or increased density. Um, but even if we want to be even more progressive, like housing vouchers or rental assistance or something. I mean, hell, build a bridge across Utah Lake. That would help. That would, <laughs> that would create low-income housing. It's really been fast. discussed for the last five years, seriously, so... I don't think the state will do it, but um, they've even talked about putting like an island in the middle of Utah Lake and building housing out there. So <laughs> it would happen. It would happen in an instant. The Biden administration has announced a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing Olympics, which are going to set to start here in about six or seven weeks, Corey. Uh, mm. Senator Mitt Romney was a leading voice pushing for this policy. Corey, do you agree with uh, with this decision? I do. I do. I think it's the right decision because I do believe that China is our top strategic threat. This is definitely an area where I, I definitely agree with Senator Romney, and I'm, I, I applaud his leadership on this. But uh, I mean, China, I don't think we need to belabor this point, but China really does threaten world security. It threatens the balance of power. It threatens uh, stability and uh, America's economic prosperity. I think that um, that uh, a bet was made many, many years ago when it comes to uh, giving when it came to giving China basically entree into the World Trade Organization. And and uh, I'm a free trader and I believe in that. But we some of those promises haven't come to come to pass. And President Xi, who's uh, who's now in charge in China, has moved aggressively to become what he's viewing himself as the next, basically Chinese authoritarian ruler. He, he fashions himself in the mold of Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping, basically like he wants to be dictator for life, just like Putin. And uh, I mean, Xi's objective is for China to overtake America as the world's superpower, and they're not hiding that at all. And I think it, it is time for us to rethink our relationship with China along, along a, a number of fronts. And Rom, Senator Romney included an amendment for diplomatic boycott of, of, the, in, uh, of the Olympics, when the Senate considered that uh, China bill earlier this year, which um, uh, passed the Senate uh, on, a, on a very strong bipartisan basis, and the amendment was passed as well. So he has been uh, at the forefront of this for a while, and I, and I applaud him for that. I think this is a good answer because we want our athletes to be able to still compete. And so this kind of gets the point across without punishing our athletes. Remember, if you're an Olympic athlete and you only get the Olympics only comes around four, you know, every four years. If you were to have to wait eight years, I mean, that's uh, basically an eternity. So I, I, think, yeah. I think it was a good solution. 
What do you think? Yeah, um, I, 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 I don't disagree with it. Um, I haven't, you know, really delved into it. I'm really, really glad that our athletes are going to get to compete because, you know, quite frankly, uh, th- there's a short window for a lot of these athletes when they're in their prime and they, they may already be at the end of that window. If they have to wait another four years, then, you know, th- th- they're not going to be competitive. And let me tell you a quick story about President Xi. He, he came over to the United States as a young man and he toured all the way all over the United States. And I know um, a state senator in Iowa told me this story, but he showed up at the Iowa Capitol unannounced. I mean, he was nobody, you know, back then. This was probably 40, 50 years ago. And he just showed up at the Iowa Capitol and asked if he could meet with the governor and the governor's secretary will sit, sit over there and about he waited about an hour and then the governor show, showed him in and he had a long conversation with the governor. <laughs> and Iowa has been a huge beneficiary of that for decades because he <laughs> likes Iowa. And um, uh, so uh, it's just fascinating to me to know that President Xi has toured the United States, you know, it's, it's just like Castro, Fidel Castro, like was playing baseball and Cuba's dictator. But, um, uh, but I think the one thing you, you left off, Corey, was they're a threat to their own people. And um, I, I just think it's so ironic when you see uh, the NBA wearing these jerseys, you know, for, you know, celebrating black lives matter in the u.s but then they won't say a word about you know what china does to its own people especially muslims and um you know everything you could list off um so when um you know when i see and and, and they're a threat to to professional tennis players you know the, like the one that disappeared last week because she uh made a credible allegation against a chinese official who was sexually abusing her and so um and i'll tell you one last thing a couple of years ago the u.s senate i mean the utah senate um, passed a little resolution kind of praising Taiwan. And boy, did we hear about it. I mean, China, they've got the thinnest skin. Uh, right. They're out there. We got, we all got letters and we were asked, we were told to apologize. And um, it, it's ridiculous how, you know, nobody's allowed to criticize China, even in America. What they've done to Hong Kong uh, just before COVID and during COVID is, is really an atrocity. And, and because of COVID, nobody's, everybody stopped paying attention, but you know, uh, there was a promise there and, and it was, and, and the promises were all broken. And, and for some reason, everybody, including the NBA and, and uh, Google and others, they're always willing to give China a pass. And, and I think that that needs to stop. Totally agree. I mean, it's, it's that we walk on eggshells because like you said, they're so temperamental and so sensitive and we'll fly off the handle. And when it comes to the NBA, like they want to sell tickets, they want to sell jerseys in uh, in China, and they know that the Chinese could shut it down. So it's okay to criticize the U.S. and the U.S. government, and uh, and certainly Republicans and Trump. But it's but it's not okay. It's like zip the lips when it comes to talking about China because they actually will like strike back and. Who was that NBA player a couple of months ago? Was it Ennis? Is that his but name? Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Shout out to Ennis Cantor Freedom. Yeah. He just changed his name to Ennis Freedom. So shout out to him. And uh, that's it's brave. I mean, he just, he's, uh, he's been asked it. to stop. I loved it. And, uh, he's like, no, no, I'm not going to. It, Back he is a profile in courage. When all the other NBA players, most of the other NBA players are lining up, adopting the corporate dialogue. Um, I mean, what, what a bold, what a bold move and, and everything. I mean, and he wasn't wrong. Let's just put it that way.
All right. So uh, this this outfit, OH Predictive Insights, which is becoming one of my favorite <laughs> companies out there, they have a new poll showing that President Biden has a 31% approval rating in Utah. Todd, does that sound right to you? It does sound right. And, you know, we talked before that, you know, Utah Democrats and statewide elections, they usually get it between about 27 and 31 percent. And so this is the hardcore Democrats that I mean, Biden could do anything. And he and these are the people that would say all hail, you know, Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or or, you know, Bernie Sanders or or whoever. Uh, But the you know, uh, presidential elections are won and lost by the you know, the independent voters are the ones that decide the president because you and me, Corey, we're probably going to vote for, we're probably not going to vote for the Democratic candidate, no, no, no like matter that. what. But um, it's, you know, it's this 10% in the middle uh, in, in about a dozen states that kind of decide who the president is. And Biden has lost those people. And yeah. and the Democrats, they don't really have a successor. I mean, it looks like it looks like it's going to be Pete Buttigieg, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the esteemed former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which is slightly smaller than Salt Lake City. Um, because Kamala, her approval rating is even lower than Joe nationwide. And um, and th- there's no way Joe's going to get reelected. I mean, he's, he came out last month and said he's going to run a, a, for a second term. Uh, but but that's just not in the cards. But 2022 is, is probably going to be a, a route uh, for for congressional Democrats in the, the House and the Senate. Yeah, 100 percent. I think uh, I think we're giving Buttigieg too much credit because South Bend is like slightly larger than West Valley City, I think slightly larger than <laughs> So, and he's but, done uh, so well with the shipping crisis, right? I mean, he deserves <laughs> exactly the shipping. I mean, boy, yeah. what, where would it be today without Pete Buttigieg and handling that for us? So, I, t- I mean, thirty-one uh, percent is absolutely anemic, and I mean, I think it goes back to our conversation about the, the redistricting, where you know Democrats in Utah argue we get thirty percent of the vote, so we should have thirty percent of the congressional districts, and you're just like, that's not how it works at all. But Biden is uh, completely failed. Look. He was he was he was voted in because he was the the uh, quote unquote adult in the room to come in and and get a, a handle on COVID, which he has completely failed to do. He was do. voted in because his name was not Donald Trump. That I mean, that's a big part. That's a big part of it too. But um, he has not gotten a handle on COVID. Where we have the Omicron variant, and people are still uh, you know like uh, beside themselves. And you know, when it comes to the coastal cities, it's still locked down. Believe me, I'm in DC all the time, and it's completely oppressive. More, more, more Americans have died of COVID under President Biden's tenure than under President Trump. That's a true stat. And you know, he said, very- and he he promised in the campaign that he was going to shut down COVID without shutting down the economy, and he's done neither. Yep, he's done neither. And I promise you that they they would love, they would be licking their chops to shut the government down again if they thought they could get away with it politically. But yeah, and we also saw, we, we've talked about Afghanistan on this podcast. He uh, he completely failed there. When it comes to infra- on the infrastructure bill, it should have been completely bipartisan. He could have probably gotten a, a much larger bipartisan vote had he actually moved to that instead of used it as a, as a, uh, a lever for, uh, to convince the progressive left. I mean, that, that, that he used it as leverage to, to try to get his, his broader abominable spending bill. Inflation is completely out of control. 6.8%, it just came through. 6.8%. That uh, inflation hasn't been that large in my lifetime. I mean, yeah. I, my dad tells me stories about how horrible it was to get a house at 11% interest. I can't even believe that. But I mean, we were, we were not going to go that far. I mean, Please don't let that allow that to happen. But still, like inflation is out of control and it's under his watch and he 
he just denied it for the first like nine months. And now he's just, he's blaming it, as we said before, on, on corporations who are just doing their best to try to deliver for Christmas. So now it's back to drink, blaming Trump and then blaming the corp, big corporations. So it's just like round up the usual suspects. Now that we're caught, let's yeah. round up the usual suspects, uh, point the finger, but he, and he's still moving forward with his abominable social spending bill. I guess the only thing that we have going for us to, that he has going for him is that uh, Kamala Harris has even lower <laughs> approval rating. And I would be interested <laughs> to see what her rating was in Utah, probably like 20%. So another, another poll from Ohio OH predictive shows that 53% of Utah Republicans would support Trump in a 2024 presidential primary. Does that number uh, sound right to you? I, I'm not entirely sure. I guess it, I guess it probably does. I know that there's plenty of support for for President Trump here in Utah. I, I think right now, more than anything, it's it's name ID, it's contrast with Biden, it's remembering like what good policies were in place versus now. I, I mean, I think I, I definitely think that there's a, a large chunk of voters that are that are very MAGA all the way and want to see Trump. I think there's a lot of Utah voters that um, that liked what Trump uh, accomplished. They absolutely liked the policies, thought he was a good president, thought he delivered a lot. I, maybe they had some reservations about some of his tweeting and so forth. So I th- but I think that there probably is enough, uh, you know, positive feelings towards Trump. And of course, the name ID. I'm not sure that uh, that this tells us that that's who they would, that 53% of Utah Republicans would vote would vote for Trump in a primary in 2024. Maybe it does, but I do think that uh, there's quite a few stars, um, up and coming talents in the on the Republican side that that uh, could be really interesting. I think Ron DeSantis, obviously uh, governor of Florida, is really impressive. I think Tim Scott, African American senator in South Carolina, is one of the coolest guys I've ever seen and I've been around him a decent amount and I think he's incredibly impressive. Um, Nikki Haley's interesting. I mean, she um, she's has been on Trump's good side and is on his bad side, but I think that she's actually pretty conservative and really interesting. And so I don't know. I, 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 I think that there's definitely um, fond feelings of and remembrance of, of Trump in the time when he was in charge and, and there were much better policies in place. What do you think? You think 53% would vote for him? It depends who, you know, it depends what happens, but he's clearly the front runner because of his name ID. But one name you didn't mention, um, Corey, is Christy Nome from South Dakota. Yeah. She's the governor of South Dakota. She, I think she has the highest or the second highest approval rating from her own constituents of any governor in the country. And I had a chance, you don't know this, but I had a chance to, I was in the audience. Uh, Christy Nome spoke to a group uh, in San Diego, I was there for an Alec conference, and she was spectacular. I have never been as impressed with someone on a first impression as I was with Christina. Oh, no. She oh, had no. the entire um, she had the entire room eating out of her hand. She um, she has a sincerity factor that I've rarely seen. Um, she stood up and spoke to us from her heart with her core beliefs. She didn't have a note card. She didn't have a teleprompter. She spoke to us and um, the everything she said was 100% sincere and nobody in the room would have questioned her sincerity. She has um, phenomenally good uh, political instincts and she's impossible not to like. Maybe maybe she doesn't get the nomination, but but maybe she's vice president, you know, for eight Interesting, years. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, having been through that experience, 
it would not shock me if she was the 2024 nominee. Mm. All right, listeners, you heard it here first. Christy Nome, we'll see what happens. Don't count her out. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> She's a, a small governor, for, I mean, a, a governor from a small state, but very, very impressive. Yeah. And a former legislator. So I like that about oh, her. Oh, good stuff. So, all right, that's all the time we have. Thanks, thanks for joining for us. Bye-bye. Fun time, as always. See you. Thanks. Thanks.